Hallelujah. A couple of things before we jump right into it. Uh, the new members lunch. Let me let me explain to you what the new members luncheon is. The new members luncheon is not for those who who. Uh, uh, let me say it this way: it is for those who desire to become a member of the family, a part of the family. How many of you want to become a part of an organization, or you want to become a part of a family? I, I want to be a part of a family. I don't want to be. I don't want to join a club. I want to be a part of a family. How many of <laughs> Oh, how many of you want to be a part of a gang? I do. I want to be a part of the Jesus gang. So we here, in this gang here at New Covenant, um, what, we, what we've done is we've, we're always modifying, we're always changing and trying to kind of shape what we do so that it never gives people the impression that you have to come to a 15-course dissertation on how to become a, a member of New Covenant. This is really, that's why we call it a luncheon. Because, I mean, how many of you don't like free food? Raise your hand. If you don't like free food, raise your hand. I didn't think so. Everybody likes free food, especially if it's good. And so what we designed this to be is a luncheon. This is an opportunity. We have found that it is easier to talk to folk when you can break bread together. You know what I'm saying? It's just easier to talk when you got chicken in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? It's easier to talk when you got a big old ham sandwich in your mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Some chips and some... I mean, nothing says the love of God more than a big old glass of Coca-Cola or sweet tea. You know what I'm saying? It just is. We just eat. But in the book of Acts, the early church, that's how they started. They broke bread together from house to house. And so this luncheon is really just designed with that in mind. And so we're going to feed you and we're going to talk a little bit. You're going to hear from me about where we're going and what the heart and the vision of the church is. And then you get the opportunity to ask questions. So really, if you want to uh, say it this way, really it's, it's a job interview for, uh, it's an interview for, not a job, it's an interview for us. It's a way for you to get to know us and decide whether or not you want to become a part of the family. Because we don't want to twist nobody's arm. If I learned a long time ago, if I got to talk you into it, I got to keep talking you into it. But if I find out what makes you click, if God can find out, if we can find out what God has made you to be and what makes you click, then bless God, we won't have to talk you into it. You won't have to tell you to slow down. How many of you, you know what I'm saying? So that's what the new members luncheon is. It's really an opportunity for you to just to get to know us better, to ask some questions, and it's just a low-key atmosphere for you to hear our heart and hear where we're going and what God has created us to do because not every church is the same. Not every church is the same. We're not in competition with each other. Trust me, there's a whole lot of lost people out there and not enough churches to fill it. And so what we do, our uh, strengths, if you will, what God has particularly called us to do here at New Covenant is a little different than another church may be. And so this is an opportunity to find out what that difference is. Amen? Amen. Well, turn to John chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin this morning. John chapter 3, happy Valentine's Day. Did y'all get all your sweeties, plenty of gifts and flowers and chocolates and all that stuff? If you hadn't gotten mine yet, it's okay. I'll pick it up on the way out of church. I'm kidding. Some people's love language is gifts. 
That's not my love language. I'm not a gifts. I mean, I love, I like to, I'm learning to give gifts. But my love language isn't gifts. Just hug me and tell me I'm the greatest pastor ever and I'll be fine. Amen. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. On this Valentine's Day, I really felt like, you know, there are, I'm going to take my watch off. That way I won't be bound by time. Y'all are all right. It's fine. It's the weekend. Um, how many of you know that there are foundational things that we all learn? There are fundamental ABC things to any subject uh, known to man. Uh, no matter what job you're in, no matter uh, what relationship you're in, no matter what school subject you're talking about, how many of you know there's fundamentals for everything? Okay? You don't go to school... And what is the first principle? What is the foundational principle of mathematics? What's the first thing you learn? No, before that. Before you understand and learn one plus one is two, what's the, what's the first thing you got to learn? No, before that. Well, yeah, let's assume you know how to talk. What's before that? You got to recognize what? You got to recognize the numbers. This is the number one. This is the number two. <clears throat> All right, so after you recognize the numbers, then what do you learn? How to add them. You learn addition and subtraction. What's next? Multiplication, then division, then what? Huh? Fractions, right? Percentages. Then you go on from that. Okay. Well, what about, uh, but what about for people who become, who get born again? Now, let me ask you this. Before you answer that one, let's assume you've done mathematics for 20 years. How many of you know you need to be refreshed from time to time on the fundamentals? You can never get away from the fundamentals. One plus one is always going to equal two, right? Because that's a, that's a law, that's a principle, that's a fundamental principle. And you need to go back to those fundamental principles. Well, what I have found is that in a believer's life, a new Christian's life and a believer's life, it doesn't matter. There are fundamental principles to everything. And one of the most, the first fundamental principle of any believer's life is a, is a correct understanding of who God is. <clears throat> what, what is the first thing that a baby learns? Huh? Their mama. They come out of the womb looking for... What are they looking for? They're hungry. They're looking for, their, they're looking for the source of the supply that they received. In the, but but does, a, does a child know his mother? And they begin, to, they begin to understand that mother's love. They begin to understand a father's love. And the, the child, the mental capacity of a baby is not at the point where you want to try to teach it multiplication and division. The, the fundamental part of a child, of a baby, of an infant, is they begin to learn who their parents are. Well, the fundamental thing of a new believer, of a new babe in Christ, or someone who's walked with God for 20 years, listen to me, I'm telling you, I have found it to be true. I can take anybody, and I have found everything in a person's life that is off, you can trace it back. So they don't have a right perspective of who their daddy is. Uh, 
everything, I'm telling you, I have counseled, I have seen, I have argued, I have, uh, well, I shouldn't say argue. Paul said, let us reason together. I have reasoned aggressively with folks about doctrinal issues, about Scripture. And I'm telling you, you can trace it back to the smallest, what we think may sometimes is insignificant, but is the most significant thing of the love of the Father. So I wanted to, this morning, kind of lay a little bit of a foundation work. And then I wanted to give you three things about this love that we have. But before we get there, John chapter 3. Verse 16. Now probably everybody in the room knows this verse. But I want you to <clears throat> I want you to listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's, that, that's probably the two, one of the two most powerful verses in the Bible. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through Jesus that the world might be what? What's God's plan for your life? What's God's, what's God's plan for your life? What did, uh, what did our brother read in Jeremiah 29? That's Old Testament too. What did it say? The Lord says, thus saith the Lord, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to what? Prosper you. Not to harm you. Hmm. We don't serve an abusive father. I said we don't serve an abusive father. We serve a loving Father. We serve a Father with so much love that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now when does that everlasting life begin? When you're born again. But if you listen to religion or you listen to the world, it won't begin until after you die. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to religion. For God so loved the world that He gave. God did not send Jesus because of what you needed. It doesn't say, for God so, for God so saw fit and understood that they needed a Savior for this lousy creation that He created and they done walked away. For He knew that you needed somebody to pick you up and slap you around and get you right with God that He sent Jesus to slap you all over the place to get you right. That's not what it says. It says, for God so what? Mm. Now see, didn't nobody this morning know what we were going to be talking about? But God loves us so much that He sent His Son not because you needed it. Because need ain't got nothing to do with it. He sent Jesus because He loves you. You got to make that personal. God wants to bless you for no other reason. No other reason. Than because He wants to. Because He loves you. See, God started it first. For God so loved. The highest expression... The highest expression of love, 
the highest form of love is giving. You can say, listen to me, uh, young. I got three daughters, and we just went to the father-daughter dance. Me and Kevin, we doubled, and we went to the father-daughter dance. And I mean, we throwed it down. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we was, we didn't care, did we? We didn't care. We were dancing with our girls. Uh, let me ask you this. What would it look like if I kept telling my girls that I love them, but I didn't give them anything? See, now listen to me, young ladies, those of you that aren't married, or those of you that are fixing to get married, or those of you that may be married. The highest form, the highest expression of love is giving. Uh, talk is cheap. It really is. It, talk is cheap. You can say, I love you. You can say, it, but the minute that that young man, or the minute that that man... I won't even say a man because a man won't do that. The minute that little boy says to you, I don't care if he's 40 years old, says to you, if you love me, you will. No, that ain't love. Because God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Even while we were sinners, he gave. It don't matter what you do with it. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. His affection for you has nothing to do with what you think about it, whether or not you receive it or whether you think you're worthy of it. His affection is for you and goes to you regardless of whether you receive it or not. It is not contingent upon you receiving it. Now, you receiving the benefits of it and you accessing that love is contingent upon you receiving it. But the gift itself has nothing to do with whether or not you want it or receive it or not. It's there. It was given. Love gives. It doesn't take. Love doesn't try to twist and manipulate. We don't serve a God that manipulates us. Now, there are conditions, even in the New Testament, there are conditions to certain things. He said, if thou shalt believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall what? Be saved. But 1 Corinthians tells us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. So even if you don't believe and confess with your mouth, it still doesn't separate you from the love of God. It separates you from accessing the benefits of that love, but that love is still for you. It's still to you. You can still access it, but you have to access it, but the love is still there. If, if, I, said, if I said to, and I've used this analogy before, but we got some new people, so it's okay. But if I said, you know, I want to give this to you, what do you have to do? You have to receive it. You have to what? You have to act. You have to respond. That's, that would be a good word. You have to respond to that gift. But the gift is still there. And for some of us, for some of you, I'm going to say, because I ain't no, I ain't one. For some of you, or for some of those out there, he's still holding this gift and you won't receive it. But the love is there. We don't serve an abusive father. We don't serve a father that manipulates. We don't serve a father that has conditions. His love for you is unconditional. Period. It doesn't matter what you do. Some of you need to hear that. Well, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter. That's not even on the table. It's like you come to a negotiation, you know, and you sit there and say, okay, we're here to negotiate the price of whatever, this house. 
and you start negotiating and the Holy Spirit says, that's not on the table. But you don't understand, I brought, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It never enters in to the mind of God or the equation of love whether or not you like it, want to receive it, or believe in it. It doesn't matter. That love still is extended towards you. It's an inheritance that has been bought and paid for for you and whether or not you receive it or not is up to you. But the inheritance is still there. The rights are still there. The privileges are still there. The love is still there. The freedom is still there. But unless you act, unless you respond to that love, you'll never access it. But I'm not talking about your response. I could care less this morning about your response because I want you to see from a different perspective what I felt like the Lord has put on my heart, and that is His love for you regardless of you. In spite, can I say it this way? He loves you in spite of you. I was talking to somebody the other day and, and I said, I've said this to a few people here recently, but I was talking to a gentleman and I said to him, I said, are you mad at God? And he said, well, I guess I am a little bit. I mean, I know I shouldn't be. But I said, that's okay. He's a good God. He's a big God. He can take care of it. As if we get mad at God and now we got to watch out because we might get shot up with fire. Now listen to me. He loves you. The worst thing you can do is try to act like you ain't mad at Him. This is good preaching. You know what the best thing you can do? Is communicate your emotions to Him. I mean, if you're going to talk to anybody about your emotions, talk to God. Don't talk to Facebook. Don't talk to your friends. Please don't talk to church members about your angriness towards other people. Why don't you talk to God? He's a big boy. He can handle it. And say, you know what, Lord? God, I'm mad at you. Good. He can work with that. He can work with that. Because His love for you is not conditional upon whether or not you're mad at Him or not. The word love is agape. Listen to this. It means unconditional love. It means love by choice and by an act of will. The word denotes unconquerable benevolence and undefeatable goodwill towards men. Unconquerable benevolence and undefeatable goodwill. That's the love that he has for God. So loves you in such a way that it is unconquerable in his benevolence towards you and undefeatable in his goodwill towards you. He loves you that much that he gave. It will never seek anything but the highest good for fellow mankind. It does not need a chemistry. It doesn't need affinity. And it doesn't need a feeling. It is a word that is exclusively belongs to Christian community. It is a love virtually unknown to writers outside the New Testament. That's the kind of love he loves. He loves you so much, he created his own word, love, and it's just for you. <laughs> That's good, brother. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> he created a word that is... Almost, it, it, it is insignificant outside of Christian circles. He loves you that much. He created it just for you. 
Well, let me say it this way. He loves me so much, He created that word just for me. I can't know that for you, but I can know it for me. And I'm trying to express it and articulate it to you so that you will know it. Uh, you're angry and you're bitter. You don't know the love of God. Are you frustrated at somebody? Maybe you're frustrated at me. You don't understand the love of God. I mean, I, I get frustrated. I get angry. Trust me, I get angry. But I always seem to have this thing rise up inside of me. You know what I'm talking about? That just, man. I mean, I just can't not like you for long. I just can't. And it ain't because of me. It's because the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart through Jesus Christ. Let, let me give you a reference to better understand this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been on 1 Corinthians all morning. We might as well stay there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then I want you to turn to Romans. Well, you don't have to turn to Romans 5 because I just quoted it. Romans 5, 5 says now, the love of God has been shed abroad. We'll come back to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, through, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my good to the feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You ready? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Now, all the single ladies, <laughs> all the single ladies in here, you need to write that down and put it in your purse. And the next time some hood rat comes up and try to talk to you, you need to pull this out and go, okay, does he suffer long? Is he kind? Is he mean to people? Well, that ain't, that ain't for me. Does he envy? Does he parade himself in his car? Does he parade himself with his hair? I'm sorry, I'm picking on all the young men. Is, it not puff, is he puffed up? Does he bear all things? Does he believe all things? Now, we have typically, I'll get off the singles now for a minute, go back to this, okay? Typically, we read this, and what do we do? We begin to analyze ourselves. Okay, am I doing these things? But I want you to, don't go down that road for just a minute. I want you to think about this. This is the same word in John 3.16. For God so what? Agape. Right? Alright, this one says, Agape suffers long. Now, hold your finger there and go to 1 John chapter, I believe it's chapter 5, no. see if I can find it. I found it this morning.
1 John chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For agape is of God, and everyone who loves or agape is born of God and knows God. He who does not agape does not know God, for God is... Is that what it says? All right, now go back to 1 Corinthians. God, your Father, suffers long. Come on now. Can I, can I read it like that? I mean, I know he's talking to, uh, you know, us, but he doesn't say you that love should suffer long. You that love should be kind. No, he says love. He's talking about the characteristic and the traits of love, right? Put, put it back up there on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. Verse 4. Charity, which is love, Charity. So he's talking specifically about characteristics of love. What did 1 John chapter 4 say? God is. So can we put God's name instead of charity? All right, now let me read something about your daddy. God, your father, suffers long. And he is what? Kind. God doesn't envy He doesn't brag about himself, and he is not puffed up. Next verse. God, your Father, does not behave himself unseemly. He doesn't seek his own. That's that's an easy one right there. For God so loved the world that he gave. If he was going to seek his own, he sure enough wouldn't have given his most prized, most valued possession. God is not easily provoked. Uh Uh-oh, I thought that if you got mad at God, it would provoke fire and wrath down from heaven. No, He is not easily provoked. I've met people in my life that weren't easily provoked. I know every one of you in this room have met people that were easily provoked. What are you looking at? You know what I'm talking about. You, You don't know what I'm talking about? You know when you're driving... And you, you know, you move past somebody and they look at you. They're like, what you want? It's like, man, I'm just passing you. Calm down. Get something faster. God thinks no evil. <laughs> he doesn't think evil. God is incapable of evilness. He is incapable of thinking evil. God rejoices not in iniquity. He doesn't rejoice in sin. But rejoices, notice it says truth. It doesn't say that he rejoices not in sin, but rejoices in righteousness or right living. He says he doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in what? What is the solution for sin? Come on now. What is the solution for sin? Truth. What's the truth? That God is love. And that God has sent Jesus and He is the propitiation for our sin. Which means He stood the gap, took on sin and finished it once and for all. So that you and I now have boldness to come to the throne. So your sin now is overcome not by righteousness but by what? Truth. Next verse. So God, your Father, bears all things. Even when you're mad at Him. 
believes all things even when you're doubting, hopes all things even when you're sitting there pouting in the, cl- in the corner of the room, ain't got no hope, the world's falling apart, I don't know what I'm going to do. Your Father endures all things. Even your... Uh, okay, I won't say that. My Father endures all things, even my stupidity. Even my rebelliousness. Even my decision to walk away or my decision to sin or my decision to reject or not respond to the truth that has been unveiled to me. Even for those of you this morning that may be wrestling with whether or not you want to respond to the love of God, guess what? Your Father endures that thing. Love, okay, go to the next one. Your father never... See, men will let you down. Women will let you down. Your husband will let you down. Your wife will let you down. But your father, God, will never let you down. He'll never fail you. So how is it that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now we're expected to give this same love when we know clearly that's not in our necessarily our capacity to do so because Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So now that feeling, that twitch you get to want to slap somebody is now overridden by the love that wells up inside of you. Now you choose at that point to govern what you think, what you say, and what you do according to what? Truth, because that's what overcomes sin, or your flesh, which is at enmity and carnal and against God. Does that make sense? Listen, do you understand? I'll get to that in a minute. Let me tell you what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this, Did you ever see the depth of love there was in the heart of Jehovah when God the Father equipped His Son for the great enterprise of mercy? There had been a sad day in heaven once before when Satan fell and dragged with him a third of the stars of heaven and when the Son of God launching from His great right hand the omnipotent thunders dashed the rebellious crew to the pit of perdition. But if we could conceive a grief in heaven that must have been a sadder day when the Son of the Most High left His Father's bosom where He had lain from before all the worlds, Go, said the Father, and thy Father's blessing on thy head. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves me. Jesus who was beside the Father from eternity, said, I'll go, and was sent by the Father for me and for you. That's how much He loves us. Now, you're going to tell me that faith won't work now? See, the Bible says that faith worketh by love. We think that that love is, well, if I walk in love and I'm making sure I do love, then I can walk in faith. No, you're missing the whole point. See, here we are trying to do something to get something. Once again, if I do this, then I'll get this. No, that's Old Covenant. 
He said in Deuteronomy, if you do these things, then God will do these things. But in the new covenant, if God did this for you, then now you can do this. So if God has shed his love for you, and you have responded to that love, now that love lives in you and is shed abroad in your heart. Now he gives you the ability to walk in love. But it doesn't say that faith works. Hebrews says faith works by the love that you give. No, it says that it works by what? Faith works by what? Love. What love? Agape. What did 1 John 4 say? God is love. Faith works by your Father. Let me say it this way. Faith works by you responding to the love that He has for you and now your faith is energized and works because you're not worried about what you can or can't do. You're not going, look at these spiritual faith muscles right here. Boy, I could believe, watch this mountain. In the name of Jesus, no. Now your faith is energized because the love of God is in your heart. Now when you get ready to believe God for something that you need in your life, it's not hard because you've tapped into the agape father love that is now in you. The hardest thing in the world is to get somebody healed that don't believe that it's God's will to heal them. Listen to me. The hardest thing in the world is to get somebody to believe that God not only... You can't even talk to them about God has already healed them because they're not there yet. We talked about ABC. That's, that's fractions. That's algebra. No, the fundamental part is you and I can't even... It's hard to get somebody healed. I can't say it that way. That's not right. It's hard enough to get somebody to receive the healing that's already been provided. I'm going to say it like that. You can't get your healing. You can't receive it. Listen... You understand that we're not trying to get God to heal you. That's like saying we're trying to get God to save you. Are we? It's already done. So when you get somebody born again, what are they doing? What was the? What, it, let's go back to the gift. If I gave, okay, here's salvation, Langston, what do you have to do? You have to respond and receive, right? Healing is the same way. Did he not take care of it? Is that not what we discussed last time? Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2.24 We know that he by his stripes he bore our sicknesses. So are we trying to get God to heal us? Come on, now listen to me. Are we? What are we trying to do? We're trying to receive it or the manifestation of it in our life today. Do anybody in here, when you got saved or born again, did you ever have you ever doubted your salvation since then? Anybody? I did. Anybody? Okay, does that mean that you're not saved? No. Do you feel saved? This none of this is on my notes, by the way. Do you feel saved? No? That logically in our minds, do you feel, okay, what if you went to your boss and he said, why didn't you come to work last week? And you said, because I didn't feel like it. He said, well, then don't worry coming back. 
No, he'll say to you, what difference does feelings have to do with it, right? We know in our logical progression, okay, guys, you don't want to go to school. You don't feel like it. So you tell your mom and daddy, why didn't you go to school today? Mm, I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like a student today. And so rather than be a hypocrite, I just chose to be real. And to which your mama and daddy said, no, you being real stupid. Right? Okay. Th that makes sense. Everybody can agree with that progression. So then why does you feeling healed have anything to do with the healing that's been provided? You know why? Because we've been taught wrong. And our pers perspective, right, Mr. Timmy? Our perspective is wrong. So now when we get sick, the enemy goes, whoo, boy, you better, you got to, first of all, you got to take communion 17 times. <laughs> then you got to repent because obviously there's sin in your life. And now you got to call forth the elders and they got to dump the oil on you. When in actuality, all three, there may be some correlation with some of those things. But really and truthfully, you and I just don't have the right perspective. No, 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 I ain't trying to get healed. I'm already been healed. It's been provided. And so now I just stand and just say, Lord, you love me. I mean, you're my daddy. What daddy wants to inflict his children with sickness? You see how twisted we thought? In a, yeah, there's a word for that. It's called abuse. And we got enough sense to pick up the phone and call defects. But heaven help us if we say that it's God's will to heal you, that it's already been provided. Well, now they want to call spiritual defects on you for saying that a good daddy wants his children to be healed. That's blasphemous. It's, you know, which is interesting because that's the same thing them guys over in the New Testament when Jesus was around. What were they called? Oh, yeah, that's right. Pharisees. That's what they said. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? He said, what's wrong with y'all? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Boy, that lit them up, man. Boy, they're like, get, the, get, the, get a rope. You remember that paste picante sauce? <laughs> this stuff's made in New York City. Get a rope. <laughs> Jesus said, I, I came, which goes to the, to the second one. Jesus' goal was to show the Father. And John, let, let, let me say it this way. John chapter 14, and then we'll go back to John chapter 3. John 14, turn there real quick. John chapter 14. How many of you know why Jesus, why did Jesus come? John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't true, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, what? Now wait now. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to what? He's the only way to what? Keep reading. If you're going on your way, where are you going? You're going somewhere. You're going to a destination. Why did Jesus come? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life for what? Where is he, where is he the way to? Well, come follow Jesus. Where are we following him to? So we can have lots of money and be healed and have success and victory. And, yeah, all that's good, but that's the byproduct of, of, of a greater revelation. Why did Jesus come? Be, besides that, he came. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the what? Why did Jesus come? To take us to the Father. Listen, now go back to John 3, hold that right there, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Who gave? Jesus. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life with who? The Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to be the path. Why? Because we were once enlightened. We were once with Him. Have you ever noticed in Genesis that when they sinned, the Bible says that God was walking and calling His name. God didn't know. Why was He calling His name? It never said that before. Why was He calling His name? Why was He calling unto Adam? Because up until that point, he had never been separated from the presence of God. Come on, guys. So why did Jesus come? Jesus came to put us back in relationship with what? The Bible? In the relationship with Jesus? With our daddy. Now, you got a relationship with your daddy. Are you really going to question whether or not it's his desire and his will and his provision that he's already made for you to be healed, for you to be saved, for you to be fruitful in everything you put your hands to? You see how mechanized, how mechanical we've made this thing? When everything flows out of... I mean, he looked at Abraham and he said, uh, no, I don't, even want, I don't even want to use Abraham. He looked at, the, at, at, at the, the centurion's servant, the master, and he said, Lord, you ain't even got to come. All you got to do is speak. This is a man that knew authority. But how did he know authority? He knew authority because of relationship. He knew the dynamics. Thank you, Lord. He knew the dynamics of relationship. He knew the dynamics of authority. And Jesus said, man, I ain't seen great faith like this in all of Israel. What was it about his faith? Because he listened to CDs 24 hours a day and confessed the word of his life. And at the moment when he needed it, he stood up and said, watch me, Jesus. <laughs> no, he understood relationship. 
He understood authority. He understood those dynamics. And he said, Lord, you ain't got to say, you ain't got to come. All you got to do is speak. How do you and I get that great faith? By that right there. Understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes. His goal, His goal in life, His goal was to bring us back to the Father. That's where your faith works. That's where your, that's where your life, your pursuits, that's where the favor of God will be on your life is in that relationship. Not in religion. It's relationship. I could care less whether you could quote two-thirds of the New Testament. Do you know the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? That's where it matters. It's not a head knowledge. It's a heart that says, Daddy. Charles Spurgeon, one more time, and then I'm going to close with three points. Charles Spurgeon said this, We are, alas, I like the way they talked back then. We are, alas, too apt to forget that while there are distinctions as to the persons in the Trinity, there are no distinctions of honor. And we do very frequently ascribe the honor of our salvation or at least the depths of its mercy and the extremity of its benevolence more to Jesus Christ than we do to the Father. This is a very great mistake, Charles Spurgeon said. Ah, beloved, he who knoweth the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, as he should know them, never setteth one before another. He is not more thankful to one than the other. O Christian, hast thou put thy confidence in the man, Jesus Christ? Hast thou placed reliance solely on him? And art thou united with him? Then believe that thou art united unto the God of heaven, since to the man Christ Jesus thou art brother and holdest closest fellowship. Thou art linked thereby with God the eternal. And the ancient of days is thy father and thy friend. He shall come forth unto you. I want to go back to Genesis for just a second. What happened in that garden on that faithful day? What happened? Man responded to a lie. Not truth. He responded to a lie. And for whatever reason, chose to be deceived, chose to listen to that lie, and partook of that forbidden tree. And at that point, his fellowship was broken with God. Broken by who? By man. And yet, I find it interesting that in the Old Testament, before the blood of Jesus was ever shed, before the prophets of old ever prophesied about Jesus, I find it interesting that on that day, the day of all days, when he broke fellowship with God, God still came looking for him. What would have happened if he would have said, Daddy, I'm sorry. What would have happened? 
Now we come to this dispensation, to this grace. The veil has been torn. We are no longer separated by God, from God, by sin. We are no longer separated Him by iniquity. We are separated by Him only by our ability to respond to Him. And yet we think that God doesn't chase after us. The blood's been shed. Jesus has been... No, He's chasing after you today. This morning He's chasing after you. He has spoke words from four different people, five different people, to communicate to you that His love for you is strong and yet you still run. It doesn't matter. He'll chase you all over the world. Oh, I can't believe this. I mean, that's, that's just, I just can't understand that. I know, I can't either. I don't understand gravity, but that's why I keep my feet on the ground and not go jump off a building somewhere. I don't understand physics. I don't understand the complications sometimes of a, of a machine, but it doesn't prevent me from utilizing the benefits of that machine. You don't have to understand His love for you. Just say, bless God, I'm going to get in the car of love and I'm going to drive down the road. All I need is love. That's the title of my message this morning. All I need is love. What's that old song? All we need is love. love. All you need. Listen to me. All you need is love. Well, what about works? Faith works by Faith works by love. Well, I got to love people in order for my faith to work. No, you just got to understand God's love for you and your faith will work. I got news for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a verse that you and I have to walk out by faith because I don't want to love. I don't want to walk in love towards the people all the time. And don't look at me so sanctified because every one of you in here deal with the same thing. But how do we do it? Lord, you love them. You love, yes, sir, you love me. I have had the Lord rebuke me before because I get mad at somebody. He'll say, don't talk to them like that. That I love you. You've had it. Faith works by love. It ain't about, listen, all you and I need is love. Because love encompasses everything that God is and out of that understanding and out of that flowing, out of that love will come everything that we need. For Listen, I'm going to offend you. I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to say something, do something, or look at something and you ain't going to like it. And guess what? You're going to say something, do something, and look at something I ain't going to like. But love conquers. So, we understand that. We got that down. Let me give you three things that we have in this love, which is the Father. Number one, we got fellowship. James 4, 7. Turn there. I want you to turn there. We're closing. James chapter 4. So now that you understand that God loves you, I'm fixing to give you some stuff that's going to put a little pep in your step, as if that didn't put pep in your step already. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. 
What did it say do first? How do you, what's another word we could use for submit? Surrender? All right, go back to the analogy. I'm going to use my, I mean, I'm giving you this knife like three times already. If I give him this knife, what does submitting do? Responds, receives the gift. So, if you submit to God, Submit to what? What do we say? Okay, let's use the word God. God is what? Who doesn't want to submit to love? Come on. Uh, you're gonna, if you ain't married, you're going to want to submit to love real soon when you get married. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, yeah, today's Valentine's Day. You, everybody in this room wants to submit to some love. Come on now. Let's share, you know what I'm talking about. Who doesn't want to submit if God is love, how do we submit? Oh, Lord, you love me. You are love. I said, man, I love you. You love me. I, I, you, you got all of me. What you want? Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do you resist the devil? You cast him away? Where does the confidence, where does the power, where does the word come from to, submit, to resist the devil? It comes out of love. It's like this. It's like you're walking, okay, so you got fellowship with, with, with us, me and you. We got fellowship, right? So we're walking down the road and somebody looks at you funny. You know what I'm talking about? You driving. You know what I'm talking about? The people who are easily, what was the word we used? He's not easily provoked, so you walk across to somebody that is easily provoked. And they're looking at you. Religion tells us, to, oh, don't, don't look at the devil. Don't look at him. Boy, don't look at him. If you look at, don't look at, don't tempt him. Shh, be quiet. Shh, let's pray real soft. Father, in Jesus' name. Because we've created this mentality. But when you know him and you know the love that he has for you, then you can be walking and the devil look at you and you go, what you looking at? Why, where does that confidence come from? Because the Bible says in Colossians that Jesus made, stripped him of all his power and made a show. It made a show. Colossians chapter 2. Having disarmed principalities and powers. What does disarm mean? It means you're shooting blanks is what that means. No, I take that back. That's not what it means. It means you, the weapons ain't even nowhere near. You've been disarmed. You, your bark is louder than your bite. He, who's he? Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So not only did he make fun of them and paraded them around, but then he triumphed over them in the middle of that. 
and just had a big old, you, you ain't worth nothing. Look at this. Isaiah says this. Isaiah says that we will look at him and go, that is the one that deceived the nations? Him? That? And yet we we attribute... You understand that what happens here is all smoke and mirrors? He has no authority. He is the God. Revelation says He is the God of this world. But He is not the God of you. And your power and your dominion comes from what Jesus did in Colossians. So He may be the God of this world, but He is not the God of the kingdom. And the kingdom supersedes the world. And therefore, you and I walk in victory because He ain't got it no more. We have that fellowship. The second thing we have is favor. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Bind mercy and truth around your neck. Let it not depart from your heart. And so find favor with what? God and man. We have favor. How do we not have favor with God? Well, I just don't know if God wants to bless you. He gave you Jesus. Why would He not want to give you a car? Well, because you know we make a God out of cars. Man, come on. Let's get some maturity about You know what I'm saying? Let's be grown up about this. I'm talking about a heart for God and His heart and His love for you. You're going to tell me He doesn't want to bless you? We have favor. I had somebody say, I've had somebody say this more than once, but they've said to me that I don't understand how things just, you don't understand that when people say stuff, they don't always know the whole story, you know what I'm saying? And they go, man, it's just like you just luck up. It just happens for you. And I go, you're an idiot. You, don't, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because number one, you think it's all about me. And it ain't. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't know. He just does. We drove around yesterday looking, looking at paint colors and stuff. And, you know, just dreaming. I mean, some of you are like, well, you don't got time to daydream. Okay, well, that's fine. You don't die. I'm going to dream. The Bible says that I would dream. So I'm dreaming and I'm looking and I'm planning and we're praying. And we went, to, uh, we went to this place that had some beautiful homes and we were looking. And why did I go there? Because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to push myself beyond my limits and go, God loves me. He loves me. I mean, I've been in the shepherd field. You know what I'm saying? I've been tending to sheep. I know what that's like. You know what I'm saying? It's like one old preacher said, I've been broke and I've been blessed. Blessed is better. I've been there and have, you know, still go there. But there's, but my, my thing to you is your capacity to receive from God is not going to be dependent on how much word you can memorize. Your capacity to overcome adversity in your job or in your life or in your marriage is not going to be dependent on how often you come to church, how faithfully you tithe, and how much of the scripture you can memorize. All those things are good and all those things are needed. But once again, all that flow, you don't give because you're supposed to give. 
The Bible says in Philippians, let him who has, let me me get it right. God loves a cheerful giver. We're not to give grudgingly or of necessity. We're, We're supposed to give as we purpose in our heart. It's a heart thing. Where does the heart come from? It comes from God loves you. He loves you so much like a... Uh, we, we, got, we went and bought some groceries last, a few groceries last night and April said, y'all want a sloppy... She said, should we get some sloppy Joe mix? Y'all know what a sloppy Joe is? If you don't know what a sloppy Joe is, man, we got to get you born again. <laughs> sloppy Joe, you know what that is? I mean, it's, that's how he loves you. Bite into it and it's just all over. That's how much he loves you. Don't let religion and stupidity... I know I'm using that word more than once. I'm sorry for all the kids. But some of this stuff is just asinine. The way that we think. So you got fellowship, you got favor, and guess what? You got freedom. You got freedom. Next time you're in the crisis of your life, Next time you face the most difficult adversity you've got, I want you to remember that God is love. I want you to remember that that is benevolence. It ain't got nothing to do with what you feel. It ain't got nothing to do with what He feels. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You don't necessarily need it, but He loves you anyway. And when you know that He loves you, then you can look the enemy square in his eyes and go, get. And guess what? The Bible says that He... He just goes, okay. No. He will flee. The word flee means to run in terror. Who's he scared of? The God in you. Stand with me. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. There's a lot of, you know, I understand there are a lot of principles. I mean, but listen to me. From time to time, we need to be reminded of some of the basics because, you know, calculus doesn't do you any good if you don't understand one plus one. If you, can't, if you forget how to recognize numbers, calculus don't do you no good. Yes, there are things that we need to do as a believer. There are consequences to our actions. There are, I understand all of that. But you got to understand love because if you understand love and you know how much your daddy loves you, then it makes your obedience that much more easier. Yes, you'll have to crucify the flesh. But why? Because the flesh is appealed to by the worldly sensual nature. But that is not what you govern your life by. We already established that five minutes into the sermon. You go to school whether you feel like it or not. You go to work whether you feel like it or not. You may not feel like a man today, but you are a man. You may not. Listen, you women, y'all deal with this all the time. I don't feel pretty. Hug me. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Hold me. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're still a woman, aren't you? And all the women in the room said amen. 
The same thing applies to your salvation. The same thing applies to your healing. The same thing applies to your provision in your life. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Truth is truth and it is reality. And last but not least, Luke chapter 15, as you're standing. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. First of all, there's no one in the face of this earth that's ever existed or ever will exist that has not needed to repent. And that word repent simply means to change the way you think, to change your mind about something. What was it about this lost sheep that Jesus attributed repentance to that sheep? What did the sheep do? We know what the prodigal son did, but what did the sheep do? The sheep didn't do... I can't see necessarily where he did anything. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. What did the sheep do? The sheep had to give its consent to be loved. That's what the Lord's wanting you to do this morning. I want you to just honor the Lord real quick for a few moments. Just close your eyes and bow your heads, please. What did the sheep do? The sheep had to give its consent to the shepherd to be loved. And when he gave, when he responded to the sheep, to the shepherd in that way, the shepherd very gently picked him up, put him on his shoulders, and carried him back to the flock. And this morning I know and I feel and I sense that the Lord is wanting to do that for some of you. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the elders and the elders' wives, connect group leaders if you're here, your wives, Mr. Earl, Ms. Carol, Kevin, Trish, y'all come on up. The sheep had to give its consent to be loved. His love for you is not dependent on you, but you being able to access the benefits and what happens in, that, in that con- the confines of that love is you giving your consent. And He's asking for all of our consent this morning. I don't care if you've been born again for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. We have to make a choice daily to give our consent to be loved because sometimes we don't feel like we need to be loved. And on this day, Valentine's Day, He's saying, will you let me love you? Will you respond 
to my love for you. He loves you so much that He attributed His love to you by leaving the 99 to come after you. You know, I got three girls and we were working up here at the church one day, a volunteer day, and they were over in the nursery. And my littlest one, at this point, she was, she was I think, two, a little over two years old. Two months, maybe three, two years, maybe three months, maybe six months, maybe two and a half. And I remember we were working, and she kept seeing me in the window. And I mean, she sees her daddy, what does she want to do? She wants to be with her daddy. And so I said, just let her come out here, and she was with me. And I don't know, these kids nowadays, they must have like nitrous in their feet or something. I mean, because I was doing something and literally 30 seconds later I turned around and she was gone. (coughs) Now my oldest girls, they were roaming around because they're older. But she was gone and my wife drove up and I'm sitting here trying to find Brynn and she's gone. And I mean, I can't describe to you the feeling. And all I, could, all I could do was pray in tongues. I mean, you said, well, what's going to happen? Man, stranger things have happened. You know, kids fall off in the water. They go out in the street. I mean, just all kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, this stuff is flooded. My, all of a sudden, it's like I'm inspired. Well, she's in the pond. She got kidnapped. She blah, blah, blah. And somebody's not going to see her and back up. I mean, all this stuff. There was not one time that I thought to myself, well, I mean, I got two more. Not one time did I think that. What did I do? Everybody in the world stopped at that moment. And the whole, everybody joined together and we all started looking for her everywhere. And she and, uh, and Justin found her over here. She had walked with her sisters right here to this corner and they were coming in the building. I never thought, man, I got two more. I mean, if we need to, we can have another one. I never thought that. Why? Because my love for her, she was lost. In my mind, she was lost. We would turn this place upside down to find her. He has turned the world upside down for you. To find you. Bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning as our daddy. And Lord, we thank you that your love for us spans even the confines of time that from the beginning to the end you know what you have known you are the beginning and the end everything is in you and out of that being you you love us we thank you for that and this morning I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life you've never You've never made Him. You've never become a Christian. It's real easy. You just believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is what Romans said. What must I do to be saved? He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. That's it. You, ain't even, you, don't, have to, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't have to do none of that. All you got to do is say, I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he died and was, raised, was buried and raised three days later. And through him I have salvation. John 14. He is the way. And you confess him as Lord. That's it. 
Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've run from God. Maybe you have left Him and maybe you didn't want nothing to do with Him and He is chasing you. He's running after you this morning. If that's you, one of those two, would you raise your hand? We want to pray with you. Hallelujah. All right, let's do this. If you need prayer, I know we're running over. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to open up the altar for our elders and the connect group leaders to come and pray with you. Sometimes you just want, sometimes you just need somebody to pray with you. You know what I'm saying? About anything. And so I'm going to ask somebody to come pray for us and dismiss us. Haley's going to keep playing. And you can be dismissed. But if you need prayer or you want somebody to pray for you, I invite you to come on up and grab a hold. None of this is going to, this is all a safe place. It's private. We're just going to pray for you and love on you. Amen. Amen. Would you come pray for us? Dismiss us, David? Yeah, come pray for us. <laughs> Did I put you on the spot? It's all right. It's all in you. Will you pray for us? Listen, as he prays and dismisses us, if you need to go, that's fine. But if you don't, please, I encourage you. Come up here, grab one of us. We want to pray with you, believe with you, whatever it may be. Hallelujah. Go ahead, brother. Lord, we thank you for this day and for this word that our pastor has given to us and that it be received and that it will help us in our everyday life. We pray for safe travels on our way home and for every prayer that is requested here at the altar, that it be received and that you would heal them or, or give them their needs, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday for Connect Group.